Welcome to Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. It's January 8th, 2024. Peter Apfelbaum's my guest. This is part two of three parts. So if you missed part one, you might want to go back and check that out before you get into this stuff. Get a little information about the marvelous Andrew Hill from the wise and intuitive Peter Apfelbaum. Did you know there's now over 300 episodes posted of Deep Focus. You can find it on your favorite podcasting app. You can join us at our hosting site, which is mitchgoldman.podbean.com. When you do, you're going to find yourself in the company of people from, I don't know, 70, 80 countries now. And I want to hear from you. I want to hear what your experience is listening to the show. Let's see if you make it to the end of this episode. I'll put the email address up in there. And I do want to hear from you. All right. Enjoy part two.
Just wow. That is really, really remarkable. I'm so glad that I found this. <laughs> You're listening to WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And when we do this show, we have a guest come into the studio, and the guest chooses a topic for us to put our laser like attention to. And your humble narrator has to find live, unreleased recordings of whoever the guest chooses. And tonight, so happy to have Peter Apfelbaum here in the studio with me. And you chose Andrew Hill for us to focus on. And I'm, I just feel so smiled upon to have found this <laughs> recording. I don't know if anybody knew of this existing. I sure didn't. And um, I have scoured the earth for Andrew Hill recordings before. Man. Uh, Antioch College, Yellow Springs, Ohio, 1972, uh, Andrew Hill on piano, Roy Haynes on the drums, and a mysterious and uh, alluring bassist. All three, three big personalities, all singing their own songs and harmonizing together, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was really something. Um, the... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who the bass player is. The the first part of what we heard, so it 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 seems like we heard a couple of tunes there from that concert. And you've probably explained this to to your listeners, but um but I like to remind people to um keep in mind the fact that these recordings we don't always know where they came from and we're just grateful that they exist because they're the only document that we know of of that particular moment. So, um, and that's one thing we love about Deep Focus is you can hear stuff that you otherwise probably wouldn't hear. And like that one, it's not the greatest sound quality, but you can hear everything. And just the fact that you can hear all the instruments and there's not like people screaming through the whole thing is kind of a beautiful thing. Um, that first piece I thought was really wonderful. Um, Roy Haynes and Andrew Hill and and this bass player, um, who's, I think he was playing acoustic on that part. Um, I was, you know, about five minutes in, I realized it was one of these Andrew things where they didn't play any time. There was no tempo. It was totally free. But Andrew would play these motifs. Um, you know, I have my melodica here. Can I play yeah, something? Yeah, man. So he would play... Uh, That's actually a scale, uh, or some people in another part of the world use that scale, and they call it sakura, which comes from Japan. And uh, in Ethiopia, you find a lot of musicians who use the sakura scale. But when you play the notes together, um, you have all the notes that are in the song Invitation, which is a jazz standard. And Andrew loved that tune. Um, so did Joe Henderson. Um, all of that is kind of a rambling way to point out that there was a certain tonality in there, and then Andrew would, he did this a lot, he would sound like he was starting a tempo, like he was starting a tune, but then he would stop, and no one would follow him, 
and it, it was it's kind of amazing it's 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 wonderful to hear Roy Haynes playing with mallets in a very free way um, so this is the first of those two that that I'm speaking about the second one um, I was remarking here to Mitch um, the bass part made it sound a little bit dated to me um, you get the electric bass or what they used to call fender bass um, playing in F and um, you know, with a lot of E flats and um, two things about that. One is I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say that I don't know if this bass player had played a lot with Andrew. Um, nothing against him, but I could, it sounds like a bass player who's got a motif and he's trying to kind of figure out what to do with it or how to free, how free to be with it. But that said, I love the independence of it, and that is very Andrew. You know, the bass player, like you said, he's kind of doing his thing. Andrew's not locking into it. It's It has kind of a bluesy feel, like the very first tune we heard this evening. Um, but it's definitely not a blues, and Andrew is not going near any cliches no. whatsoever. No, and yeah, the bassist, he's kind of, he's sounds to me like he's kind of an idiomatic sort of player. And right. there were, we were talking off mic about some of the idioms of that day and things that, you know, in hindsight, you could say a musician might tend to kind of fall into. But That's right. Andrew and Roy have no need for any of that. That's right. In a way, it's cool because they're doing their thing around it. Yeah. And the bass player, I mean, he sounds like a lot of bass players did at that time. And, and I was remarking on how... Um, well, also, like, for example, Michael Henderson, young Michael yeah. Henderson playing with Miles at that time, uh, played those same Fs and same E-flats, uh, might have even been the same bass. <laughs> uh, but that's what we did. And honestly, growing up in Berkeley, California, my dear friend Harold Foreman uh, unfortunately passed away two years ago, but was electric bass player, and he played those notes, and he played that way. And that Yamaha 115B amp that Michael Henderson played. Oh, <laughs> check that out. Okay. For all you gearheads up there. Um, but, yeah, and I, I had said this to Mitch off air, but um, but whatever you think, I mean, to me, it's a very individualistic um, and... Um, I think I liked the first one of those better just because it was so un un unidentifiable. But um, it's a beautiful thing because, it, like I was telling Mitch, that was a very accurate, it's a very accurate do um, document of the sound of that time, Yeah, 1972. Yeah, and sidelight, uh, we suspect that this might have been the time. So this is uh, Antioch College, Yellow Springs, Ohio. Cecil Taylor had a historic residency there right around this time. So maybe he was even in the audience for this show or had a thing that or two to say. That would account for everything. Because <laughs> the bass player would have been thoroughly confused. He's like, well, I got some blues like Andrew gave me, but then all these other people are playing all this free stuff. No, I shouldn't say that. But, they, but, but yeah, there was so much in the air at that time. And that 1972-73, is that's when I first saw Cecil Taylor who deserves a whole show of his own. We've you know. done a few, and I hope we do a few more, at least. Right on. <laughs> Anytime I hear Cecil Taylor on the radio, life is good. I just can't Stop believe it. Stop the car. Exactly. Pull over. Definitely got to pull over. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, those times. And also, like I was saying, that was when I first saw the Art Ensemble of Chicago opening for Mingus and first saw Herbie Hancock and a lot of those guys. So that was a special time for me because I was uh, about 12 years old and getting into this wonderful music. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's uh, this really is a treat. This, this is very... I don't know if you've... Uh, listeners, if you're regularly pull out those Andrew Hill LPs and put them on the turntable. But even if you do all the time, you've probably never heard anything quite like this. There's just, there's a real authentic playfulness and joy in the music and a very articulate kind of expression of something beyond words. I'm, I'm, I'm digging it, man. Yeah. A lot of feeling. A lot of feeling in this. Uh, We don't know the names of the pieces, but we got more of them. Should we keep going? Yeah. Uh, You're listening to WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, here with Peter Apfelbaum, and we are listening to music from Andrew Hill. We're deep in the midst of this set from sometime in 1972 at Antioch College, Yellow Springs, Ohio. And we know it's Roy Haynes on the drums and an unnamed bassist. And we've got a couple more pieces. And I'm going to do my... Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah. Crowd's loving it. They're with them, man. Yeah. That Fender bass, man, got them going. (laughs) (laughs) Always works. Works like a charm. You think they're going to come out and play some more? I think there's like. I can. I, I sense sweat being wiped. There was that bit in that last piece when the bassist just took off with that walking bass line. Yeah. Running bass line, maybe I should call it. Running bass line. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Roy, Roy Haynes just jumped right on it. Yeah. And then Andrew Hill's playing these like bebop riffs. Yeah. Here we go.
What a, I don't even know the words to use. That was a remarkable journey we just took. You're listening to WKCR. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And you know how this works. Our guest chooses a topic and we plunge into the WKCR archives. I have to walk you in there. I have to walk you in there. I got to oh, show you that. Look forward. And we find I might live. Not come out. That <laughs> might be it. Peter Apfelbaum, my last scene entering the WKCR archives. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, this is, man, it, it really, really bore fruit this time. These, uh, this, you heard, you heard every new piece that we were able to find. We started, if you've been listening since 6 p.m., we started with that crazy live TV set. It wasn't crazy except in how rare and wonderful it is to listen to it 50-some years later um, from 71. And then this recording from 1972, a trio date at Antioch College, which was to some extent a hotbed of emerging music at that time. Cecil Taylor, There's this has been documented to some extent that he had a residency there and led a music ensemble that spent an immersive amount of time developing performance music with him. Right. And it was right around this time, 1972, Andrew Hill doing this trio date, Roy Haynes on drums, unknown bassist, three three big personalities sharing the stage and Peter once again you were you were grooving man what did you hear share some share yeah. some thoughts please well it's really a joy to hear Andrew you know we were talking about um how he was as a person um, compared to his playing um and i feel like um you know at some point um somebody should do a show maybe you or somebody with people that worked with him more you know like greg tardy or marty ehrlich Mm -hmm. um because i would love to hear what what they have to say um about working with andrew um and and as we were talking about before i got to meet him at this workshop in vermont when i was 15 um and i played with him on a concert that he put together and he gave me some music um, but you know, it's interesting. I, I, I've heard this with some of his bands and some of the musicians, the way they approach his music. And I just know, I know the feeling cause Andrew didn't really ever tell you anything about the music. He'd hand you a piece of paper and he was the most gentle guy. He had a very gentle voice, uh, reminded me of kind of how Ornette Coleman was. Mm-hmm. It was also very just very uh, genuine and very gentle, very soft-spoken. Um, Andrew also told me that he didn't feel that he developed socially until a late age. In fact, he even used the word autistic. He, he At one point he said, you know, I'm sort of autistic. Hmm. And um, it's interesting, his playing is just so unique to me, and there's these things he gets into, this kind of insistent thing um, where he'll push something. It's like he's playing in a tempo with some other band while his own band is grooving (laughs) (laughs) on another tempo. Um, But it's very interesting to me. And and that is different from his personality that that I, the Andrew that I knew. And actually, I was talking with a good friend 
earlier today, Daphnis Prieto, mm-hmm. great drummer and composer who's an old friend of mine at this point, longtime colleague. Um, but Daphnis uh, got to work with Andrew um, towards the end. I forget exactly for how long, but he got to know Andrew well. And we were just both, you know, laughing and, you know, remembering fondly how, how gentle uh, Andrew was. But he, he had his own sense of order in music. And he didn't really verbalize that when he gave you a piece of music. Um, I have a cassette. One day we could maybe play it on here, but I have a cassette of the performance I did with Andrew. Wow. I was playing saxophone. Um, Chris White was on bass on that one. Keith Copeland, Ray Copeland's son, was playing drums. Um, And I forget who else would be on it, but I, I have like a funky cassette of it. That I've never played for anyone, <laughs> and it's in storage in California, and I'm not giving out the address. <laughs> um, but uh, listening back to it, I feel like I kind of uh, overtook the situation a bit. I was very much influenced by Albert Eiler and some of these really fiery tenor players like Frank Lowe and Frank uh-huh. Wright. Yeah. So I kind of brought that to this Andrew performance. And Andrew, he just smiled. He didn't tell me anything. And, and years later, I listen back and I think, oh, man, I could have been so much more nuanced. And I just think of all the other things I maybe would have done. But he was beautiful. He was supportive. And he didn't say it was bad or good. And, you know, I never did find out if the music was the way that he wanted. But I realized... Aside from some of these very orchestrated uh, pieces of his that he did throughout his life, by and large, he would give you some music, and he had he had the whole thing worked out, but like it was just his own way. The music would speed up and slow down, and um, you know he'd be very very relaxed for a while to the point where. It would almost feel meandering. And then all of a sudden, he would crash the bass end of the piano and play some really fast stuff. So he was just, he was very, he was a, a lot of, I don't know if contradictions is the word, but he, he had a lot of, um, you know, he was very unpredictable. And and again, like I said earlier in the program, I think that confounded some listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't play the way that a, uh, that uh, that most people play that are dealing with the bebop. Um, well, he's ball. not fulfilling expectations. That's not what he's intending to do, and it doesn't sound like it was his, his nature to do. No, that's very true. And then you had people that broke away more, like Cecil Taylor. Um, and so the pure avant-gardists that loved the intensity of Cecil or even the wild brashness of Sun Ra... Yeah. They would get something different with Andrew. Andrew just had his his own thing and his own way of um, of thinking and talking and and playing music. But after you listen to it for a while, you can see that there was this this totally original logic going on. This was a question I said I was going to ask you. Yeah. Did he talk the way he played? Was was his flow as a conversationalist similar to the what you got on the bandstand? Oh uh, yeah. Well. Hmm. That's a difficult one because I I think what I'm thinking of foremost is that he was so gentle in his speech and he could be forceful in his playing. Um, But to to some extent, yeah, to some extent, he was, you know, he would, 
he would sort of leave unfinished sentences yeah um and things like that but um but he was he was very soft spoken he was he was just very very mellow very gentle um you know he's the kind of guy that you would want to have as an uncle you know somebody who always seemed to be just really chill and made you feel relaxed i'm i don't want you to think i'm not paying attention i looked at my um was looking at my phone i was doing a little googling yeah there maybe maybe there's one listener <laughs> still to the show so i've been on the air these Monday nights for a long time. Yeah. And I think I was telling you that he came by the studio one night. And um, I got to see if, I don't even know if I like threw a cassette in to record it. This would have been late 80s, early 90s. And he came to the door and Wait, he, who are we talking about? Andrew Hill. Andrew? Yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. And he said it, it was his 60th birthday. It was this time. So this Monday night, if you're listening to a recording, it was Monday night just like this. And I was on the air, and he said, yeah, it's my 60th birthday. And um, I was like, well, come on in and come in the studio and, you know, sit down talk to me. Wow. And we hung out, and I felt so, uh, you know, honored that he would choose to spend his 60th birthday on the air with me. Wow. And um, he was lovely. And... Then I was telling somebody about this, and this is, you know, before you could just Google anyone and find out everything about them, and they, someone who knew him, they said, that's not his birthday. Ha. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know, I didn't know what to think of it. He was, he was a, a warm, wonderful person to hang with. I mean... Aside yeah. from as an interview subject, he was—he had a, just a great giving presence about him, and I was such a fan. You know, I was—I was really, I'm still still flattered and honored that he was came by at all. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, that's it's just hilarious. so something so enigmatic about that. It's like a scene yeah. from a like Coen Brothers movie or something. You know, you find right. this out after the fact. Anyway, um, but I'm gonna try using that. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Walk into a nice Italian restaurant. Right. Hey, it's my birthday, by the way. <laughs> Why not? Absolutely. But so um, another thing I want to ask you about, I made reference to a little bit earlier. You've got some gigs coming up, some opportunities for people to hear Peter, Ap- Peter Applebaum and uh, various ensembles. Yes. If you're in the New York City area. And if you're not, then I think there's still time to book a flight. Get yourself here to New York City, and hopefully you can be there when what's going to happen. Yeah, so I have a couple of exciting things coming up. Um, They're both in New York, and one of them is on Sunday, the uh, 21st of this month, um, at Drome, which is spelled D-R-O-M. Um, you guys out there may know it. Um, it's uh, run by some folks from Turkey, and um, we love the fact that they have all kinds of music there. It's Jazz clubs are great. We love them. But this is um, it's a club that puts on all kinds of music, Israeli folk music, reggae, yeah, 
Um, I played there recently with my old pal, Stephen Bernstein, mm-hmm. who put together a wonderful holiday uh, review. Um, and I played there with the Groove Collective a few months prior to that. Um, so Sunday the uh, 21st, I'm really excited um, for several reasons, partly because I'll be playing with um, my old, another old friend, Paul Shapiro, yeah, uh, who's made a few records for John Zorn's label Tzadik that I played on. He has he did this a group. Deep Focus too. Uh, he did Deep Focus. Yeah, yeah. yeah right on, <laughs> Polly. So Paul has this group called Midnight Minion, where he plays. He and I are the saxophones. Uh, Stephen Bernstein plays trumpet, um, and it's normally Booker King on bass and Tony Lewis on drums. Um, and it's um, it's a really wonderful um, take on on these old Jewish themes, not necessarily klezmer, but like you know stuff that the cantor sings in in the synagogue. Or so I hear. I wasn't brought up observant. <laughs> but I did go to Stephen's Bar Mitzvah and many other friends. Uh, in fact, I played it. In fact, I was hired to play it. But that's another story. But Paul has um, has this wonderful group, Sextet, and so Midnight Minion is doing half of the night. And the other half is a group that I'm really happy to revive that I've done in a, a few different formations. Um, that's a collective with Marcus Rojas on tuba, Eric Mingus doing spoken word uh, and vocals, and Sira Baptista mm-hmm. on percussion. Uh, and for this, it's kind of a, a equal opportunity group. And um, just to expand our opportunities even more, we invited another old friend, Charlie Burnham, wow. to join us. So we're all bringing music to that. Um, it'll be improvisational as well, but it should be a wonderful evening. Sunday, um, January 21st. And then the following weekend, another um, performance, which is really special, um, the first performance of 2024 of a wonderful, long-standing band called Kamikaze Ground Crew. Wow. Which also includes Stephen Bernstein on trumpet, Marcus Rojas on tuba, um, Brian Dry is going to play trombone, I'm playing saxophone, and it's co-led by... Gina Leishman, who plays saxophones and sings and writes a lot of the music, plays accordion and piano, ukulele. Uh, And Doug Wieselman, Mm -hmm. who plays saxophones and clarinet and sometimes guitar. Uh, And Kenny Wallison on drums. Cool. So that's a group with many different connections. But it's one of my favorite groups I've ever played with. Um, The group does everything from Stravinsky to Jimi Hendrix to Ellington to a lot of original music to um, uh, Stockhausen. Um, So that is happening at a kind of an underground place, um, which is owned and operated by a dear friend, Josh Roseman. It's called the Louvre, L-O-O-V-E. I'm actually not sure if there's a website for it because there's a lot of stuff takes place. I actually just played there yesterday. it tends to be a lot of kind of underground stuff. It's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, 58 North 6th Street. Um, and that, uh, I assume, is an evening thing. That's Saturday the 27th, Kamikaze Ground Crew, a group that doesn't play as frequently as I wish that it did, but started in the early 80s and and uh, really wonderful, very compositional, very broad variety 
yeah. of music. Um, so those are the two things. And then other than that, the last thing I'll say is I've been very happy um, in the last years to be involved with Creative Music Studio, which mm-hmm. is a workshop uh, organization based in Woodstock. And we've been doing, um, you know, this was started by Carl Berger, and it was basically his innovation to bring musicians from uh, a lot of different backgrounds um, and styles to play together to improvise. So he well, started he would, he this. He would imp- say started it with Don Cherry and Ornette. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. That's very true. Yeah, that was his time and his world, and and um, and his whole thing was expanding, bringing the world together. And um, and having people from different backgrounds who have the common interest in uh, improvising to come together to be able to play together. So Carl, unfortunately, passed away in April of uh, last year, but I was basically handed the role of leading that group. And that group plays every, well, the last Sunday of every month in Kingston, New York at the Shirt Factory. And it's always different. It's often between... 15 and 25 players. Last time we did it, Craig Harris was a guest conductor. Um, Eric Mingus is going to do one of the ones coming up. Um, but for now... Um, Craig this... was talking about that. He was... Oh, he was? Yeah, yeah. My yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing to have him. And we... we yeah, we go way back to... Um, but... So this Sunday, for those who happen to be upstate in Kingston, New York... Uh, we're playing, it's a 3 p.m. open rehearsal and a 4 to 5 or 5.30 uh, afternoon show um, at Handbell Studio at the Shirt Factory, um, which is another underground place which doesn't have its own website, but you can go to um, creativemusic.org, www.creativemusic.org, and you can find out about those performances in case you are in or want to be up in Kingston, New York. That's a very Carl Berger, Don Cherry thing to do, too. The open rehearsal followed by the performance. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Carl used to talk about how he met Don at La Chakipesh in oh, Paris. Yeah. He walked in with Ingrid, and he told him the story on Deep Focus we did about about Don. That he told him he played the vibes and. Don said rehearsal is tomorrow at four. <laughs> Today at four. <laughs> Today, yeah. You gotta yeah. love it. Yeah. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yes, Absolutely. indeed. Thank goodness for those folks. Yeah, yeah. And thank goodness for you, Peter Applebaum, carrying the torch and bringing it forward. It's right on. Accounted praiseworthy. It's Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman here with Peter, and we are having a blast. We've just been soaking in the Andrew Hill vibes, but we talked about, I, I, I got to say you were quite irrepressible in our conversation, far ranging. We talked about a bunch of different players and I rounded up some recordings and we've been trying to squeeze in moments where we could find them each on our own to listen to uh, some of the stuff that we found. And there's, there are riches. Where shall we proceed? Where indeed, where indeed. Well, you are going to have to go over to part three to find out the answer to that question. This is part two of a program that aired January 8th, 2024. Aired and recorded Peter Apfel 
Baum, my guest on Deep Focus. Our topic was Andrew Hill moving into something else delicious that I hope you'll be part of. I told you at the top of the show I would give you the email address. I wouldn't lie about that. You can email us. I hope you do. It's deepfocusnow, deepfocusnow at gmail.com, deepfocusnow at gmail.com. I want to hear where you are, where you live. I want to hear when you listen to Deep Focus, how you listen, and whatever else you want to tell me. I'd love to hear it. If you haven't subscribed, please do. If you haven't checked us out on Instagram, go right ahead. We are Deep Focus Podcast. Deep underscore focus underscore podcast at Instagram. And if you want to find out more about the show, do a little digging. You can go to my personal website, mitchgoldman.com, and take a look at the, just pull down the About Deep Focus tab. And you'll get all kinds of information about what we do and how we do it and all that. All right. You're still with us. Okay. See you over at part three. It's January 8th, 2024. Peter Apfelbaum.